Uh, you may have noticed that I'm sporting a new fashion trend. You see this? Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we married off our only daughter, Lori and I married off our only daughter last Saturday. Um, yeah, so, yay. Yeah, so we had a great time. Um, the, uh, so that was last uh, Saturday. Uh, the Thursday before that, we were down, um, they got married in Louisville, Kentucky, where they, uh, where they live. And uh, so we were, we were getting everything ready. And so on Thursday, we, uh, we were carrying, I was carrying some stuff out to the car uh, to, so that we could transport all the stuff that we collected for the wedding to the um, to set up for the reception and all of that. And so I was carrying a box full of stuff. I don't remember what it was. It wasn't breakable because I do remember throwing it um, at the time. And, uh, but I was walking towards the car and there was an uneven part of the driveway that I didn't notice. And so I, w- I was carrying the box of the car. I slipped and I twisted my ankle and the, the driveway was kind of facing downward, and so there was a slope to it. So I just kind of kept moving. Uh, fortunately, I didn't fall on my face. That was where it was headed. But it was also fortunate because I kept moving because I, if I hadn't moved, if I hadn't kept going forward, I knew I could feel it. It was about ready to break. And so, um, so what I did was I twisted it and sprained, sprained my ankle, right? So, which I've done before. Um, and, uh, but... I did what every good dad would do in that moment. I put some dirt on it and I walked it off, right? You just, I gotta keep moving. So Saturday was the wedding and I'm just like, I gotta tough this out. So I took way more ibuprofen than a human probably should. And uh, I hobbled down the aisle with my daughter. I did the daddy-daughter dance and toughed it out and all of that. And uh, so it didn't hurt, like it hurt, you know, pretty good and it swelled up. And so then, uh, throughout the week then, we got home Monday, and uh, I noticed by Wednesday that the swelling hadn't gone down. I thought, okay, this probably isn't good. So um, my, my wife, Lori, uh, encouraged me strongly that I should go to the doctor and uh, get it checked out. And so I did what every good husband did. I waited till the next day and went on Thursday to the doctor. And so I get in there and told her, like, what had happened and all that. And she said, well, of course, you need to, you need to get an x-ray. So I did that and then discovered uh, really quickly that I had fractured my ankle and had been walking on it for seven days. And uh, so, so now I have this lovely boot that I get to wear as a punishment uh, for my ignorance. Um, so what, what had happened was, like, I mean, the swelling was there, right? And it was some bruising. Uh, there was some pain, obviously, that I treated with ibuprofen and, and tried to manage the pain a little bit. But at the end of the day, like there was something that was wrong with my ankle that I, I couldn't see, right? I could, all I knew was that I was in pain and that it hurt. And it took an x-ray, it took somebody with expertise, right, to x-ray my ankle and say, hey, what you couldn't see on the outside, I can see on the inside, and you have a fracture there. Here's the truth. I am a very fractured man. I am. There are all kinds of fractures in my life that um, many times I am unaware of. They, I can feel the pain at times. I can feel the, the repercussions for the fractures. There's an acuteness of the pain. 
And sometimes I can identify where the root is, but there are lots of fractures in my life that, that to be honest, I don't, I don't see. And that it really takes someone with some expertise to be able to, to kind of look deeper inside and say, hey, here's, here's a fracture that you have. Here's something that's really wrong with you. Uh, my guess is that um, each one of us have fractures, that there's probably multiple fractures that we go along with life, and at times those things change. Some of the fractures you've been carrying for a long time. It's a brokenness inside that um, you just can't seem to shake. And then for others, the fractures just change over times, and, and we can't always identify where they're at. Here's, here's what I'd like for us to walk through today um, as we look at Hebrews chapter 3. I want us to see, and this is kind of the big idea for today, and that is that in order to combat the subtle drifts towards unbelief and the spiritual blindness, those fractures that we can't always see, we desperately need help. We need help. And that we need intentionally intrusive, redemptive relationships in our life. People who are willing to speak into those things and to see the things that we can't always see. And that we too need to become intentionally intrusive in other people's lives for their good. Hebrews chapter 3, um, verses 12 and 13, this is a, the couple of verses I really want to focus on today, warns us as brothers and sisters in Christ um, to be watchful in the drift towards unbelief and spiritual blindness. It's a warning to us. The writer starts by imploring us in, in verse 12. He says, take care or be careful or watchful. Be watchful. This is a warning uh, for really, I think, two different groups of people. The first is that it's very clear in this passage that this is a warning for those who think that they are believers. They may say all the right things. They may do all the right things. They may come to church. They may act a certain way, but have never given their lives fully to Christ. They've never trusted him in obedience. And so they're, they're, there's a duality of their life. They say and do the right things, but they're not really trusting in Christ. So there's a clear warning in this passage to those who are living this kind of duality of life. And it's a warning of like, you, you've got to get your life straight. You have got to put your faith in Christ. Because in the judgment day, you just acting the, the part, you just playing at this, is, is not the thing that's going to save you. So there's a clear warning to those not to play at church, not to play at religion, not to play at this thing at faith. But I also believe that there's a clear warning to those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ who find it difficult to live this Christian life because of the subtle drift towards unbelief and the spiritual blindness that we have in our lives that we just can't identify and we can't see. Somebody better answer that. Anyway, so the set of patterns towards, um, of drift towards unbelief. Let's, let's start there. We see this in, in verse 12 of chapter 3. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, uh, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to a fall away from the living God. Again, none of us are immune to this. None of us are immune to this. Even the disciples were rebuked by Jesus 
after his resurrection. Find this in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. It says, afterwards he appeared to the eleven. Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. See, if even the the disciples, Jesus' closest friends, hearts tended to drift very subtly away from belief into an area of unbelief and a hardness of heart, how is it that we think that we're somehow immune to that? They've seen the risen Savior, and somehow they're still conflicted about unbelief. So how does this happen? How does this happen that we somehow find ourselves subtly drifting towards unbelief and, and then finding ourselves in a place of spiritual blindness? But there's, there is a progression of sorts. And we get some clues from the entire chapter of Hebrews chapter 3. The writer uses an example from a story in the Old Testament, um, and he quotes from Psalm 95. And so this is, this, this is the psalm, Psalm 95 here, that's quoted in uh, uh, Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The psalmist here is reflecting on the Israelites and is referring to a moment in their history that we find in Numbers 14. And now this this moment in history is where they have reached the edge of the promised land, and Moses has sent spies out to, to see if, if the land is ready to be inhabited. And so the spies, um, some of you that may have grown up listening to Sunday school stories, the spies come back, and the spies report, we can't go into the promised land. The giants are too big. The enemy is too big. We cannot take this. There is no way we can enter their promised land. So instead of believing the promises that God has been giving them for 40 years, the Israelites now have shifted to this place of unbelief. Like, we can't do this. I know God's been saying this, but we can't do that. There's no way that we can do this. And they've now hardened their hearts towards the Lord. Well, there's some indicators that we find towards unbelief in the lives of the Israelites. And it's, it tends to be patterns that they repeat over and over again. Um, so the first thing is this, is there's grumbling and complaining. That's an, that's an indicator that you may be moving towards a place of unbelief, a, a, a pattern of unbelief. So grumbling and complaining. There's a, there's a clear fear of man here. Um, they even ask the question, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To, is it to fall by the sword? Like they're, they're asking, like, why did God take us through 40 years of this? Now we're just going to die out here in the desert as we go into the promised land. So there's this fear of man of like, well, God promised this, but yeah, but th- this is the attack that we're feeling. This is, this is the temptation of, of, of uh, giving in to the fear. There's also a questioning of God's goodness and his promises, And Moses reminds them of the promise. He says, if the Lord delights in us, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. So Moses is 
constantly pleading with them and trying to remind them of God's goodness and His promises, but, but they tend to continue to drift toward this place's unbelief. There's a forgetfulness of God's faithfulness. He even reminds them, in, as we reminded in Psalm 95, it says there's, there's 40 years of protection and deliverance from the Lord. Like He's given them everything that they need to survive in the desert for 40 years. But they soon forget God's faithfulness. They soon forget how good God has been to them. And then it ultimately leads to a place of unbelief, where the Lord finally asks in Numbers 14, how long will they not believe in me? How long? After everything that I've shown them, 40 years of taking care of them, delivering them out of the hands of Egypt, all these things, why is it that they still can't believe me? He says, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them, why is there a drift towards unbelief? And then eventually there is a complete falling away from the living God, and God's verdict is, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. There is a progression here. There's some signs, there's indicators, and most people don't go from zero to 60 in, you know, in one second in this kind of thing. Like, it is, it is a subtle drift. There are indicators that happen in the lives of the Israelites, and, and, and my assumption here is that there are subtle drifts that happen in your own life as well. There's things of, and, and maybe it's some of these things, some of these indicators. Maybe it is some of the grumbling or complaining. Maybe it's forgetting God's faithfulness or His goodness. I can tell you that this is an everyday challenge and battle for me, personally. One day, I will, I will remember how good and faithful God is. I can point to uh, testimony and examples of how good He has been in my life, all the ways that He has shown up and, and done amazing things in my life. And the very next day, the very next day, sometimes the very next hour, I'll get hit with something so hard, and, and then my heart will begin to subtly drift towards unbelief. And I'll forget all the good things that the Lord has done. I will forget His faithfulness. I will forget His goodness. See, none of us are immune from this. We all are susceptible to falling and drifting away. The author here in Hebrews 3 is making that point. He's saying the people of God brought out by a pillar of fire and a, by day or by night and a, and a pillar of smoke by day, they ended up missing God's promises here. They, they missed what God would have for them because of their own unbelief. It's as, it's, it's as if to say, if anyone should have no trouble believing in God's promises, it should have been the Israelites. Should have been them. Forty years of God's faithfulness. But if they fell, anyone can. Anyone can. And so what the author is trying to do is warn us against doing the same thing Israel did. You don't know that your heart is hardening. You don't know that you're developing a pattern of unbelief because sin is so deceitful. So we see that in verse 13. It says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, the deceitfulness of sin leads us into spiritual blindness leads us into spiritual blindness. 
Um, today's Father's Day, and of course, I can't help but to think of my own father. Um, he died over 20 years ago, um, but uh, I still think of him quite often. I love my dad. Um, but there were things about my dad um, that also irritated me. I'll just be really honest, um, right? Um, there's things that I, uh, I really wanted to emulate about my dad. He was a great evangelist. He was a very loving pastor, um, provided for our family. He was a hard worker, so a lot of great things. There's also things about my dad that irritated me, right? Um, just sometimes the way that we would get treated or he had a very quick temper or he would yell a lot, like our house was very loud, right? And so growing up, I would think, oh, well, I'm, I, there's things I want to emulate and then there's things I don't want to do. I don't want to repeat the patterns of my dad, right? And so I would say like, well, when I have kids, right? I'm never going to. So um, I know most of you don't have children here. Some of you um, are still single. And so let me just tell you that, that that whole thing of I will never is a lie. Because <laughs> here's the challenge is that we tend to repeat the same patterns of our parents, whether we like it or not. In fact, the things that irritated me the most about my dad, I find myself doing as a father as my kids were getting older, right? And so I didn't want to be the, the, the house that was so loud and yelled at my kids and that kind of thing. And there I found myself yelling at my kids, right? Doing the same thing that my dad did. Because sometimes there's things in our lives that, that we're blind to. We don't always see some of those patterns of behavior in our life. So as much as I didn't want to do those things, I was blind to the reality that there are things in my life that I just cannot see about myself. There are things about you that you are completely blind to. You can't, you don't know what you don't know, which is a really scary and dangerous thing, isn't it? It's a really scary and dangerous thing. But in our blindness, we need help, right? We need help in that blindness. We need instruments of seeing. And the writers of Hebrews gives us a practical application for this subtle drift towards unbelief and the spiritual blindness that we sometimes find ourselves in. We need instruments of seeing. And so he tells us here in verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That deceitfulness of sin will blind you to your blindness. See, most of the time when sin comes into your life, it doesn't just show up and, and you can see it for all that it is, right? That's why it's called the deceitfulness of sin, right? It doesn't just show up and present itself and like, hey, I'm evil. Do you want to come try this? No. Like it dresses itself up really nicely, puts on a suit or a dress and like presents itself in its best form that it possibly can. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And so sometimes when it comes in our life, we don't even know when it's happening, and we become blind to it. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, exhort one another. Like there's a role that we play in the body of Christ where we're inviting each other into this, this relationship. In fact, Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, we need intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive relationships intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive relationships. Intentionally intrusive. 
So who is that for you? Who is that that you have given permission to to be intentionally intrusive in your life? Who in your life is willing to tell you the truth about the ugliness of your sin? Who in your life is willing to call out the blind spots that you can't even see? Who in your life is willing to name the unbelief in your life? More than likely, no one does this for you voluntarily. Like most of the time, people just don't show up and say, hey, I've got to point out a few things that um, are pretty messed up about your life, right? I mean, no, no one does this voluntarily. It needs to be an invitation into our lives. You will need to invite someone in your life to do that. It might be a spouse. It might be a best friend. It might be um, a colleague. It might be someone that's discipling you or counseling you. Self-examination is a community project. In the Western world, we typically don't think about that. We just think, my problems are my problems. I'm going to keep those things to myself, and I'm going to try to hide them most of the time so that no one else sees the pain and the fractures. But self-examination is a community project. This was really the role of Moses. This is the role of Moses. We see this in Numbers 14. The Israelites, their, their hearts are moving away from the Lord. They're, they're drifting away. They're hardening their hearts. And what's, what's Moses do? He names it. He calls it out. He says, why have you fallen so far away from the Lord? He calls them back, shows them testimony of God's faithfulness and his goodness and so that they can return back to the Lord. He, he, he exhorts them, saying, if, if we will follow the Lord, if we will be faithful to him, then God will bring us into the place of the promised land. Uh, this last week, um, uh, Pastor James and Pastor Bryant and I got together for lunch. We went and had Korean barbecue, and it was awesome. It's kind of our go-to place. I never can remember the name of it. What is it? Yeah, whatever he said. So you guys, I know you guys have all been there. It's awesome. It's so good, right? And we decided we went, and we weren't going to talk about church. We, I mean, we talked a little bit about church, but we really weren't. The plan was not to go talk about church. It was just to hang out and be with one another. And so I was telling the guys, like, hey, this is my passage for this week, and that's what we're going to talk about. And it was really interesting because our conversation really led to a place where the three of us all agreed with one another, these are the kind of relationships we desperately need. We need people who are going to be, and for one another, to be intentionally intrusive in our lives, to be able to call out the stuff in one another. No one is above this. Everyone is susceptible to drift towards unbelief. And sometimes every day, every day. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, how often should this happen? He says, well, as every day as long as it is called today. Is today still called today? Right, okay, so as long as Jesus doesn't come back tonight or today sometime, Tomorrow will be still called today, and so it's that we need to keep doing this. As long as it's called today, we're to exhort one another. We're to invite people into our lives because, again, the subtle drift towards unbelief and spiritual blindness is a daily battle, a daily battle, and each one of us will fight it. 
but know that it's impossible for you to do on your own. I mean, we started a series about change and transformation, and we've said from the very beginning, like, this is not change and transformation. Your sanctification process is not something that you can do in your own power. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can change in any way. But God has gifted us one another in the church. He's gifted us specific relationships where we're able to speak into each other's lives truth and to see the things that no other people can see. And so this is God's gift to us, and we need this. And other people will also need this from you. So you invite people into your life, and you be willing to speak into other people's lives, to exhort them. Charles Spurgeon, while preaching this passage, said this. I I think this is fascinating. He says, what kind of man or woman would you like to hear? Will you give your ear to the one who will please you to your ruin and flatter you to your destruction? Surely you are not so foolish. Do you choose the kind of doctor that never tells you the truth about your bodily health? Do you trust one who falsely assured you that there is nothing the matter with you when all the while a terrible disease was folding its cruel arms about you? Your doctor would not hurt your feelings. He washes his hands with invisible soap and gives you a portion of the same. He will send you just a little pill, and you will be all right. He would not have you think of that painful operation which a certain surgeon has suggested for you. He smirks and smiles until after a little while of him and his pills, you say to yourself, I'm getting worse and worse. And yet he smiles and smiles and flatters and soothes. I will have done with him and his little pills and go to the one who will examine me honestly and treat me properly. He may take his soap and his smile elsewhere. Oh, sirs, believe me, I would think it a waste of time, nay, a crime like that of murder, to stand here and prophesy smooth things to you. We must all learn to hear what we do not like. The question is not, is it pleasant, but is it true? Is it true? See, the temptation is for us to isolate ourselves. It's not to hear the truth. Like, the fact is, is that I'm, I, I don't like wearing this boot, <laughs> right? It's annoying, and I, it's not very fashionable, and it's a pain, right? I don't want to wear it. I would rather hide the fact that I have an injury. But that is not the way to get well. It's not the way to get well. My doctor's prescribed this for me for the next four to six weeks, and I have to do what it takes for this to mend properly. I'm not here to treat myself. I need to listen to those who have wise counsel, who know better than I, who see the things that I cannot see. The temptation is to isolate ourselves. But this is not an easy thing to do, and I understand that. Inviting someone in to be intentionally intrusive in our life. It is not fun to hear the things that we do not want to hear, to hear the truth about who we are. Uh, My spiritual mentor I've been meeting with the last couple of years, and uh, he gave me an assignment a few months in um, to our conversations, and uh, this was the assignment. And so I want to to encourage you, like this is one way to, 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 to dive into this whole venture of inviting someone to be intentionally intrusive into your life. So if you want to take this assignment up, that's great. This is, what I, this is what he asked me to do. 
He said, I want you to go to someone close to you, preferably Lori, your wife, and he said, I want you to ask her this question. If there was one thing about me that you would change, what would it be? If there was one thing about me that you would change, what would it be? You want to know what it was? I'm not telling you, so, yeah, no. No, I can tell you this, though. So that was, it was a hard question to ask. That is not an easy question to ask, right? You, you want someone to get intentionally intrusive in your life? Ask them that question. Here's what I can tell you is that the answer was painful. It was painful. I, I mean, it, it did not feel good to hear those things because what I heard was truth, and it was truth that was um, a deep fracture in my life. but it was the truth. And I needed to hear it because I needed God to begin doing some healing in me that only he could do. It will be hard to hear the things. Hearing someone articulate your weaknesses is, it is not fun. But it will be redemptive it will be redemptive. It may be one of the most fruitful actions that you can take in your growth, your sanctification process. It is God's gift to you to hear some truth, some hard truth about your life. And then to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to do um, the work at at mending you and, and fixing you so that you become more and more like Jesus. I mean, that's the goal. It's real transformation. It's real sanctification that leads you to look like Jesus. Avoiding it, isolating yourself, hiding from sin, ignoring the fractures, even though it hurts and, and you, there are symptoms of it, ignoring it will not make it better. It is only by addressing it and seeing those things and having people call it out and address those blind spots in your life will you ever be able to really mend the brokenness that's inside. Real transformation leads you to final glorification. We see that in verse 14, and this is our goal. He says, for we have come to share in Christ. We to share in Christ. If we indeed, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Firm to the end. It's a continual work in our life. There will be a day when it is no longer called today, right? I pray that it's today. Jesus, come back right now. Like, I want him to come now. But there will be a day when he will come, and we will stand in front of the the throne of God. And so what has not yet occurred will occur in those days. As we find in 1 John, it said, Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And it be like Jesus, because we we shall see him as he is. Let me encourage you. We we read this passage in the beginning of chapter three there. It talked about Moses and you know, and he was a great man and you know, he was a spokesman for, for God and tried to, 
you know, move people's hearts back to following the Lord, um, was a great um, seer. He was a great one that could see the blind spots, that could see the drift from unbelief and, and try to sway people's hearts back to the Lord in that way. He was a great man. He was a spokesman for, for God in that way. But the beginning of chapter 3 reminds us that, that, that no one is greater than Jesus. See, we can, we can have people speak into our life, and it, it's going to be an incredible help to you in your spiritual journey as you grow and are sanctified. And you can be that person to someone else, like Moses. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that can mend the brokenness in us. You are not the hero of this story. Moses is not the hero of this story. I am not the hero of this story. Only Jesus. What we do is we help one another see the brokenness. We can reflect that. We can come alongside people and exhort one another. That's what it means is to, to exhort, to encourage, to come alongside someone and say, hey, I'm on this journey with you. We're in this together. And help me to see the brokenness in me, and I'll help to see the brokenness in you so that you're not blind to this and we don't drift away in unbelief in some way. But our job is just to, to help people see it and have other people see it in us But when we see those things and those things are uncovered and we see the truth of who we are and we see the fractures, the many fractures in our lives, the only response is to go to the one who is greater than Moses, and that is Jesus himself. He's the only one that can mend the fractures in our life. He's the only one. And so if we really want to change, if you really want to experience transformation, you have to go to the only one, the only great physician who can see all the brokenness in your life. See, my doctor, she prescribed this for me, right? She said, this is, this is what you need to wear. But she can't fix me. She can't. She can just prescribe. She can point out, the, here's a fracture, this is what you need to do, and this is how to fix it. It's all she can do. All I can do is follow her suggestion, do what I'm supposed to do, wear this stupid boot for the next six weeks, right? But I can't fix myself either. It's outside of me. So call to the one, the only one that can and that's Christ himself. Let's pray together.